Ladies and gentlemen, it's your buddy Gavin, filibuster freestyle, mega cast coming your way. This is the setup for what will be a multiple guest podcast. Uh, recording this, I believe, on the 28th of June. It's been a whirlwind month of June. But yours truly uh, and our buddy Bob Sullivan, pundit of the show, Guns N' Roses expert, he and I are going to go on a little European vacation for the better part of the first two weeks of July. So I'm going to be out of the country, but I would never want to leave you, especially over the 4th of July, without some filibuster freestyle action from your buddy Gavin and the folks at filibusterfreestyle.com. So what we're going to do is in the summertime, you know, we got a couple things happening. Uh, And literally, I mean a couple things. You've got some major golf. You've got Wimbledon. And that's going to factor in very prominently in a few minutes. And, of course, you have Major League Baseball. Now that we've got hockey over, we've got NBA basketball is over, college baseball finally ended, and a lot of folks are already starting to count down the days to training camp for the NFL. So what we're going to do is a megacast that I keep alluding to but not giving you any information on. Well, I'm going to change that right now. We're going to talk about baseball because I'm not going to lie to you. Outlandish Theory of the Week Remember back in like 1998 when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa started hitting home runs at an ungodly pace and then Barry Bonds would get on in the action and then people had to go to Congress and pretend that they didn't take steroids or some type of a performance-enhancing substance? Well, I've been looking at the home run numbers lately and I kind of think we might be back in a quote-unquote juiced bald era part two. Uh, this time I'm wondering if people are silly enough to actually believe that the, the balls are being manufactured, the baseballs, excuse me, are being manufactured to be juiced. Maybe it's the dudes. Just saying. So we're going to have Andrew Patterson and most likely pundit from the West Coast, Jeremy Johnson, who is the newest father, and his wife Chloe is the newest mother in the constellation of stars known as the filibuster freestyle pundits and experts crew. So congrats to them, regardless of whether JJ makes an appearance on this podcast or not. In addition to that, we're going to go to our lawn and country club sports expert Andy Maslin to talk about Wimbledon, and we're also going to bring in a new pundit, my co-worker Xavier, who's also a fellow Drexel Dragon, and I'll have him on uh, probably to lead this thing off once I edit it all together, but Xavier's a big tennis fan, Andy Maslin's a big tennis pundit for the show, I actually am into tennis more and more as I get older and older, uh, nothing, like, nothing shows the age like being like, I'm into tennis, and I'm going to tell people that on the internet, on my podcast on the freestyle, but I just did. So anyway, I've got an outlandish theory, or I want to hear their takes, actually, on Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. They're both having a resurgence. Roger skipped the clay season. Rafael, Rafa, as they call him, dominated the clay season. Basically, Rafa's taken off this far in the grass season, and Federer kind of fell flat in his first match, but then won his his second tournament. So he Went one and done in his first match on grass and then came back and won a whole tournament just last week. I want to get their takes on who's got the advantage going to Wimbledon. Probably some other chicanery, craziness, and outlandish theories coming your way. But again, just wanted to set things up. Enjoy your 4th of July, Bastille Day even. I'm going to be gone for all of it. So the freestyle might not be getting back to you until mid to late July. So enjoy this one. Thanks, everybody, for listening, sharing, liking on all of our social media platforms, including Facebook, including Twitter, including even Snapchat. We're out there. Look for us. And obviously SoundCloud, filibusterfreestyle.com, and of course iTunes. Subscribe, leave a review, 
let people know how to find us. Thanks. Here comes the intro and then the show. Filibuster, filibuster freestyle. Filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster. Oh, that's exciting. Freestyle. Filibuster freestyle. Always good to have a theme song rolling, baby. That's right, filibuster freestyle. I cut it off short there, and I'll tell you exactly why. In my very long-winded preamble to this show, I forgot the most stunning fact of the week. Places listening for the first time in the two-plus-year history of the filibuster freestyle. The number one country that listened to the freestyle this past week was not the United States of America. The great nation of Japan, and more accurately, the city of Tokyo, Japan, set a new international record and led the way for all cities, and Japan led the way for all countries last week in the filibuster freestyle. USA, first collective silver medal in the history of the show, so I'm just saying, big enough deal to cut the theme song short. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, with me in the remote studio, Xavier Hemphill. Colleague, fellow Drexel Dragon, tennis enthusiast, first time on the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to get into some tennis talk, as I've already kind of set the fans for on this mega cast. We're also going to be talking about, maybe not you and I, but baseball, maybe enjoying a second era of the juiced ball era, a.k.a. the juiced human era. <laughs> Any hot takes on that, or do you want to stick no, to tennis? No, no, yes. I think tennis is my strong suit. I'll let you handle the All juice. All right, cool. cool. <laughs> well, as we, well, we're going to get to that. Well, as we've talked about, you know, you and I in our extensive pre-show, uh, you're, you're a Rafael Nadal fan. I am. I am. Tennis fan in general. Tennis fan in general. And the question, I'm going to hit you with a couple of questions based off of the hardcore season at the beginning of the year for tennis, in which Roger Federer surprised many. Right. And then obviously he took off the clay season. Rafa came through, didn't surprise anybody, Definitely. destroyed people on clay. Yeah. Now we're going into the grass season and I'm gonna ask you the same question basically three times, but in you know, in the construct of time. So the first question I'll ask you on on Federer deciding to skip the clay court season is he wins Ozzy out of nowhere, first match back right. in a while, right. thirty six years old. Right. Goes to Indian, Indian Wells, beats Nadal again head-to-head there. Right. Goes to Miami, beats Nadal for a third time. Takes a sunshine slam, and then basically a week later says, hey, I'm not playing, I'm not playing clay, which is right. Raphael's specialty surface, right. though right. he's great everywhere. Right. So in your opinion, at that time, before the clay court season started, how did you think the strategy for Federer to just opt out of that was a smart one or a bad one? You know, I mean, I think at this point, you know, Federer, I mean, he's, what, pushing 40 now? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think I think they're, I mean, even with Nadal, I think they're both just trying to lengthen their careers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see it with a lot of tennis players now with that old age. At this point, it is about the big tournaments. So the thousands and the grand slams, that's kind of what they're concentrated on. And, I mean, Federer just knows that that's Nadal's area. You know, why waste the time? Why mess with to, it? Why mess with it? And, uh go in and see how the grass goes. But I think generally, yeah, I think it was a, a good move for him personally. For fans, for people that are excited about the renewal of this rivalry, um, not so much. Correct. Just because I think if you look at it in ter- terms of the historical aspect of it, you can't really say, you know, oh, Federer is the greatest if he's avoiding playing the doll sure. on his greatest surface. So Yeah. 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 But now, and obviously from a, from a preservation standpoint, if you can not get injured and probably not lose a match, you're going to mm-hmm. lose anyway. In some mm-hmm. ways, 
He's playing for the grass play. But right, Nadal right. goes out there. He wins what I believe was his at least 10th Monte Carlo match. That was his 10th, correct. He got another, I think they were calling it decennial, decennial. Uh, yeah, yeah. Decennial champion, yeah, whatever. But yeah, make exactly. meaning 10. He may have a lot of 10ths this year. Because yeah. I think he also did a 10th in Madrid. Yeah. A tenth in Barcelona. He did lose in the quarters in Italy and Rome, but bounced back. Won his tenth yeah. French Open title. Yeah. More importantly, though, his fifteenth major. And so again, I come back to this question of Federer skipping clay because Federer made a very crucial move in January, winning the Australian. Right. Because he went from having seventeen to Nadal's fourteen. Right. And then they played each other, which means it could have been seventeen to fifteen. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been really kind of breathing room would be very little yeah. for a Federer at five years older. But he gets to that eighteen. He extends the lead to four majors over Nadal and then basically right. concedes, doesn't even attempt to stop Nadal right. from winning his 15th, which means we're right back where we started from, which, right. which is yeah. he's, Nadal is four years or five years younger, only three behind him, Correct. behind Federer. Yeah. So again, Federer's move, knowing what we know now, that now Rafa is hot, he's playing with confidence, he's... Won four out of the five tournaments he played on clay. Mm-hmm. I mean, any changes in how, how Federer's strategy works? Or do you feel like he said, why waste effort to probably lose anyway? Yeah, I think for Federer it was a confidence thing. I mean, you come in and you win that whole, you know, the, the three tournaments that he won, beating Nadal in each of those Yeah, finals. right. I think for him it's a confidence thing heading into Wimbledon. If you go through the clay court season, you're losing. And not to mention someone like Dominic Thiem, who – I mean, he was number two during the clay court season. So, I mean, there were some other guys that could have possibly beat Federer as well. Because um, team actually got Nadal and Rome. He was the one that got Nadal and Rome. Right. And Nadal beat him, I believe, in both of those, the finals that he won. I think you're right, yeah. I, I believe yeah. team um, is the guy that Nadal beat. So, I mean, just the the the, the opportunity to come into the, the grass court season with your record showing win, yeah. win, win. I think that was something for Federer just to give him more confidence. Right. Um, now Nadal has that too, though. And, pretty much. And now, and so that's going to be the interesting thing heading into Wimbledon. Right. Is that now Nadal has that confidence. And Nadal's always been a confidence player. Correct. Federer's been, you know, I think Federer's, I'm not going to say he's, he's cocky, but he doesn't necessarily have to have that confidence. Right. He doesn't need he the momentum. Some, yeah. He has something that he can just dig into. Yeah. Where Nadal, if he gets beat, I think he, he holds on to it a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. And so I think for Which I think is why his health is so important. His health because Nadal needs to be important. healthy exactly to make the plays exactly. that he made when he was you know oh nine yep. when he was winning. I think he won the Grand Slam. He didn't win the Grand Slam, but he won like I think three out of four yep. a couple years in yep. a row. Yeah. So anyway, so let's talk about Nadal then opts to not play on grass. Right. So Nadal decides. Well, and again, the confidence is there. There's no the risk in not playing on grass, but. Now, Federer is coming back on grass. We'll get to him in a minute on grass. But right, right. Nadal opting out of grass, do you think – again, I get the same question. Smart move? I think I think for Nadal, not so much. Okay. Just because the, the clay and the grass season are so close together, mm-hmm. you don't really have enough time to get back, to get back into it. Yep. Whereas Federer, you know, he has enough time to build up and get into it. For Nadal, he needs that match play, I believe. So I don't know if it was necessarily a smart move for him, which actually he is playing. He just played – Two days ago, I believe he played a exhibition match. Yeah, I saw that. he got beat by Thomas Burdage. So yep. everyone's kind of, I think it was fifty nine minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it right. Took for Burdage to uh, to take out Nadal. I mean, you know, I think for Nadal though, that was just a way to kind of get his feet wet. You know, right. just to see where his play is. I believe tomorrow he's playing uh, the same exhibition style. He's going to be playing against Tommy Haas. Yeah, um, who <laughs> who a name we'll talk about in a second. Who, who yeah, we'll he beat. Well, second. either way, he, but he beat Federer. Federer's first real match back first in Stuttgart. You know, so I, I on mean, grass. You know, after a three-month play, yeah, Nadal is 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 doing some grass. 
Um, but then the thing is, he's not skipping the grass court season. He's playing Wimbledon. No, no question. You know? Well, I think so he knows, you know. to your point earlier, right. that he's playing well right now. He's healthy right now. Right. I mean, 31 is typically not a spring chicken age for a tennis player. Mm-hmm. Um, just happens that for Federer being 35 or 36 is even more right. so impressive. Right. But uh, I think he's actually 35. I said 36 earlier. But all right, so so you've got, you've got Nadal and you've got Federer. Mm-hmm. And you've got the field, mainly mm-hmm. Murray, Djokovic, mm-hmm. and probably even a bit of Stan Wawrinka, uh, as favorites. Yeah. But others as well, team. Uh, uh, there, uh, I can't yeah, say that name. Yeah, yeah. The they brothers. Have, yeah, yeah, other guys know, are playing yeah. well. But so yeah, yeah. in Wimbledon, <laughs> who are you taking? The field, Federer, or Nadal? Who do you, you think is the best? I mean, including the field always has the best chance because there's more of them. Right, right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely going with Federer and Nadal. Um, I mean, just the way these two guys have been playing this year, they, they are absolutely dominating. Mm-hmm. Like anything that they have entered, they have both. I mean, pretty much the first quarter of the year, Nadal, the second yep. quarter. So, I mean, the first half of the tennis season has been dominated by Federer and Nadal. That's right. So, I, I, no question in my mind that those two will go in as joint favorites to win. Yeah. Um, and you're taking the two of them over the field for right. sure. Right. And the, the, the draw has not come out yet. I believe it comes out tomorrow mm-hmm. um, on Friday the 30th. Um, but what will be interesting, because of the way the seedings, Federer and Nadal could potentially meet in the semifinals. Right. So Center that final. would be – right. So that would be an interesting thing in terms of the dynamic of the draw and how that will work. Because obviously most people would like to see them meet in, in the, the final, final for sure. versus the for semifinal sure. um, at, this, at this stage. But um, that that'll make a huge difference in my opinion as far as – you know them over the field, but by far, if, if they ended up on opposite ends of the draw, then you're thinking, I, I would, you're thinking, I think it would, yeah. And I will say though, for Nadal, um, my thing about Nadal, I think he has a harder chance to reach a final, but if he comes in, he plays his way to a final, right? In my opinion, he would be the favorite. Back to the momentum thing, right? If he's won five matches to right. get there, right? He's not, he's, yeah. gonna, he typically does not yeah. blow it in the sixth match exactly. or whatever the exactly. final match number is, yeah. But if he's to your point. And everybody's susceptible to this, but right, right. you know he's the kind of guy, especially on grass, right. where I feel like he goes out in rounds one or two. Yeah. But he yeah. Did, once he wins two matches, I feel like then it comes down yeah, to comes. Yeah. who is the guy in the final against me, and 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 he typically plays very well. Exactly. In the final, in the big moment, and yeah. so then then it comes up to like with Federer in that epic Australian match, <laughs> Australian right, Open right, match. Right. Sometimes Federer has just enough in the tank. Yep. To, to just outlast you because he yep. doesn't really get up or down. I mean, he even said in his, conce- his acceptance speech of, the, of winning, you know, there's a couple of spots there, I think, in the fourth set where mm-hmm. he thought it was over. Yeah. Well, even in the fifth, he was down a break. That's right. You know, the doll was and up and break. And then he stormed back. And if you just back. looked right, at right. the fifth set in a vacuum on like right. Wikipedia, ATP.com, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, fifth set, Nadal crumbled. Well, really, mm-hmm. what it was was actually Nadal was looking like he was going to win. And yeah. somehow Federer summoned yeah. up like the 2007 gods yeah. and came back yeah. and hit Definitely. every. Corner every piece of paint. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're, we're are we thinking Nadal or Federer? You want? I mean, you want to pick who's going to win this one? So this is a difficult one for me you're in, because you're you're a Nadal fan. We're going to get into it too. I'll, I'll put it this way. So if Nadal makes it to the final, I got Nadal. Okay. I think Federer will get to the final. Yeah. If it's anyone other than Nadal, Federer I, I taking Federer. it. I think Federer take it. So I'll give a slight edge to Federer. I mean, and mind you, Federer has been to the final of Wimbledon in the last two years. That's right. 
That's so right. He lost to Djokovic, like, I think, both times? Or no, Murray once, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, Murray um, oh, 12. is a uh, defending champion from last year. I believe so. Right? so he lost to Murray yeah, last yeah. year. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Federer is... is he's is, really tough on grass. He's tough on grass. So it's not like he's had this low... You know, I think, what, 2014 was the first... He lost in the second round that year. I right, believe. that was kind of one and of his toughest was, years. Right, right. And, and then he's bounced was, back, especially on grass, well since yep. then. Yeah, and he, so, yeah. you know, it, it, the odds of him getting back to the final, right. just based on history, right. coming off of a win, right. I think there's a really good chance that Federer will be back in the final. Yeah. Um, Nadal, again, it's... It's going to be the first couple win. couple matches. Right, right, the first couple matches of, of, of matter. Yeah, if I think about yeah. Federer, his real emergence on the scene was Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And if I think of the last truly great Wimbledon champion, Pete Sampras, right. was a guy who was kind of the Nadal of grass. I mean... He won the right. bulk, the lion's share of his majors at Wimbledon. Now, he won some hard courts. He never won a clay, Sampras. Right, correct. But, you know, Roger, as he gets older and older, clearly he can still win on the hard surface. Yeah. But maybe it makes sense, like you said earlier, to skip clay. You, you know you've got a, a, a genius of clay in yeah. Nadal, and it's not your best surface anyway, even if Nadal's out. Well, and, you know, I actually, I kind of want to challenge that theory a lot because people tend to say that a lot about Federer, and especially when you talk about the greatest of all time, yeah, Federer sure. Nadal kind of rivalry. People always mention, you know, Nadal, he can't be the greatest of all time because he's only won on clay, you know. No, I disagree and, with that too. Right. Yeah. And then people talk about Federer, and it's like, clay, he's been to four French Open, five French Open finals. Federer, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, he's won one, and he's lost to the he's lost four. Four. <laughs> right, you know. So I mean, the one he won, he you know he he beat the guy who, who beat, beat Nadal. Nadal right. you Which, know, in essence, I mean, you, you know, got to beat, like, you beat a, who you beat. Right, right, right. You know. So I mean, it, it's 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 there is some truth to it, but in the Nadal era, I mean, no one really is right. And to, clay, to me, you know? they are both. All right, let's get into this because it's probably right, it's sure, probably sure, more sure. more provocative. Potentially, yeah, yeah. Which is you know Novak Djokovic kind of came in after these two had become kind of a binary force mm-hmm. in tennis. Mm-hmm. And there, there's been this like two or three year window, not including this year, right. where I think he certainly has taken the mantle as the best player in the world, as right. the guy who beats those two guys head to head a lot. Right. Uh, I think Nadal probably still a better overall record against him. Djokovic? Yeah. Or is no, that they are. They, they Djokovic, um, just because of their last head to head. Right, the last couple of years. I, I mean, they played 2011 through 2012, I believe it was the... Um, Wimbledon 2011, Djokovic and Nadal. Yeah. U.S. Open 2011. Djokovic, Djokovic and Nadal. Nadal. Right, there's a lot. Australian Open 2012, Djokovic yeah, and Nadal. Yeah, okay. French Open 2012. Djokovic, Djokovic and took them all. And Djokovic took all of them except for the French Open. Of course, right. And, right. Fair. And, totally exactly. Fair. So Djokovic went on a run. He went on a tear. Right. And so he does have just on the last end yeah. of their robbery when Nadal started going down. Right. He really came in and filled the void. man. Yeah. So I guess my thing yep. with him is now he's kind of – Going through this dip that yeah. the other two guys have gone yeah. through for either yeah. age or injury or both reasons. Exactly. Or maybe just focus on being the best player in the world. And yeah. there's a lot of people who want a piece of you then, both on the court and off. Right. You know, in terms right. of distractions, in terms of desire to continue to stay on top. Mm-hmm. So he's won 12 majors. He's been the runner-up nine times. Right. Um, you know, you've got Federer at 18 uh, with, I think, 10 runners up. Yep. You know, and you've got yep. Nadal at 15 majors, I think, seven, seven or eight runners up. Right. Yep. So. Yep. And then you've got Murray and, to some extent, Warrenka. Right, right. But, like, is Novak – I think it's very possible he's going to have a second run. Do you think he's going to have a second run? Do you think he's going to get – let's put it this way. 
you got Federer 18 again, Nadal 15, right. Djokovic 12. I think right. I, I think in January when it was 17 to 14 to 12, I think most people were thinking Djokovic is definitely going to catch Nadal. Yep. And he's probably going to catch Federer. Right. And now in the last two majors, each of those two guys has won one. Right. Which leads me to believe that it's no longer a foregone conclusion that Djokovic is going to catch either of them. Right. I right. guess my take is, yeah. where do you think he ends up on the major scale? Where do you think the other two guys end up yeah, on the major scale? Yeah, you know, I mean, at, at this point, after seeing this year that Nadal and, and Federer are having, I have no idea. I, I really don't even know. And it's it's really crazy because tennis has always historically been a young sport. Correct. 30, 31, that's, that's old. That's, that's ancient, ancient. You yeah, know, in tennis, in tennis years. So to see a 35-year-old and Nadal just recently turned, what, 30? I think 30, 31. 30 or 32, maybe? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, um, or 31, I believe. Yeah. You're 31. You know, and to be the two best players in the world right now, right. Um, it's it's really difficult to say. So with Djokovic, I mean Djokovic pushing thirty now. So that's his biggest thing that's not going for him is he's basically Rafa's age. Right. I mean within right. reason. Right. And um, Rafa's ahead of him, and Rafa's right. got clay. I, I, I he's think, playing well now. I definitely think Djokovic has a couple more in him. And I mean, you know, don't forget, you know, two or three years ago, we were having the same conversation about Federer and Nadal. That's right. Will they get more? Will, you know, is right. this, they, are they done? Are they 17 enough? Right. right, right. You know, and here Nadal, he's been to the final of both the first Grand Slams, you know, so, I, and, and, you know, I think that's another thing to say, you know, will we meet, he's been to the final of the first two Grand Slams, so his odds of getting there. But Djokovic, I don't know, man, I think it's weird. He's all in his spiritual phase right now, you know, his yeah. whole... Um, kind of intellectual mind thing, and for him, he is a very mental player. Yeah, you know, he he's in his head a lot, so it's never a question of fitness and skill for him. No I question. think it's, right. it's very much a mental game. So if he can figure out where he is, I mean, he pulled in Andre Agassi um, to try to give him some encouragement, hired him as a coach for a little bit. I mean, that didn't, at least in the first few outings, hasn't materialized yet, yet for sure. Gone so well, so I, I think Wimbledon will be a good place to really see how that goes. But right now, I, I mean. He has at least a couple more. I, yeah. I definitely see Djokovic if he can get back um, to his, his, you know, winning mentality. I, yeah. I definitely can see him getting at least two more. Okay. Um, so, so you don't know that he's got eighteen in him. I don't think he has eighteen in him. Okay. I, mean, I question Nadal. I mean, if Nadal can go in and Nadal wins Wimbledon, then he's got a real shot at eighteen. That will. So yeah, that, yeah. yeah. My next question is going to yeah. be, you know, it, let's say Federer gets one more at some point in the next couple of years, is nineteen going to be enough? If he can stay healthy, I mean, this is the first time really in Federer's career that he's had health issues. Yeah. You know, I mean, he has pretty much been a clean slate. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's just age now. Yeah, right. You know, it's not fitness or whatever. And, you know, Nadal's just not had good genetics with his knees and all that's that right. kind of stuff. Federer just has amazing genetics, so he's never had injuries. I mean, if Federer can, can stay healthy, I, I, I don't think there's any question that he, he can go 20, 21. Um, maybe try to catch up with Serena. Yeah, right. Um, Serena, <laughs> Steffi. You know, yeah. I don't think he's got but, Margaret Court numbers in him. Know, I don't think he has. But, you know, I think I, I definitely, you know, if he can stay healthy just based on Wimbledon. Wimbledon this is, will be key. Wimbledon is probably, this is probably one of the most interesting right. and exciting Wimbledons yes. I have seen yes. in a decade. Probably yeah. since the 2008 Wimbledon. When there kind of was the changing of the guard, when right? Nadal won, Finally won and there, got yeah. to number one. Um, Andy Roddick, that Wimbledon. His last, it's what, two, I don't remember what year that was, but the the he final made a run one, one year, that yeah, they, yeah. That they had with that's that. it. And you know, I, I think, think this is, this is very probably going to be pivotal. Be one of because the you, more you get Federer ones. getting nineteen, yeah. yeah, which again takes us back to where we were in January after the Aussie, right. which was like he's right. got a four four run lead, if you will, right? You know, yeah. And the game's getting later and later. If Nadal wins, 
It's down two again. Yeah. And the Open, the U.S. Open, hardcore, is anybody's game. Right. Always is, always right. could be. Right. So by the end of this year, we could almost have an answer to all these questions. Yeah. Uh, but in the next two, three weeks, the f- fortnight, yeah. if you will, yeah. and not, we're going to have a big answer. And another really interesting thing, and I don't think it matters a lot of times for these players once they get into older age, but Nadal is the number one player in the world. Right. That's a real thing in yeah. the next big couple deal. of tournaments. You know, and he doesn't even have to play well. Right. well he has helps, no points. It, right. It helps seeding and you guys yeah, lose any points. Yeah. It gives him, you know, and just the confidence to come out with that cockiness to say, I'm the number one player right. in the world. Right. You know? And out of those three, he has the least amount of time spent at number one. That's know, right. Better, That's right. You know, has spent uh, years record amount yeah. at, uh, at number one. Djokovic passed Nadal in the last couple of years. Right. He, he was kind at of number one. It, right. So Nadal had, you know, out of those three, he spent the, the least amount of right. time at so number that's one. That's probably very important. Um, so you know, to get back to number one. Um, I think that that could be something that you know a lot of people aren't really talking about right now, just because it's about the numbers and yeah. slams. But that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, and Andy Murray dangerous in this one, you think? Andy Murray, nah, you he's know, in a little I bit of trouble right now. Andy, right? Andy Murray's in a lot of trouble. You can never count Andy Murray out. I think it's always been his career, um, regardless he was at number one or whatever. Andy Murray. He, he's like, I call him the flopper of tennis. You know, <laughs> if he hits a bad shot, he starts holding his ankle. And, you know, yeah. Andy Murray, he's just always he's got that scary. soccer culture from being, it, from being it, a British right, citizen. Right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's always been kind of a, uh, a weird one for me because I, I, I never count him out, but I never yeah. count him in. He's just always been very right. neutral to me. Right. So um, if he wins, good for him, but, but yeah. you're not really scared of him at yeah, the beginning of a draw. Exactly. Okay. You don't really, because you never know what game he's going to bring, yeah. you know. And then someone like, Bob Rinka, you know, if you want to bring him into the conversation, he's um he, he's a finisher, right? Like that's the guy where if he's if he's playing well, you don't want to you don't right. want to see him. Yeah, his his know? what his co- his mix his cocktail, if you will, is very right. potent, right. right? But it's also one that it's not as consistent. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's get into a guy who's also unpredictable, who I believe is a number one Nadal homer. Mm-hmm. And in our pre-show, you think he's a number one Federer homer, <laughs> which means basically he's just blowing smoke up everybody's rear end. Johnny Mac, Johnny McEnroe, yeah. are you kidding me? Good you cannot Johnny be Mac. serious. He decides yeah. to go out and mess with a now, I believe, in her second or third trimester, mm-hmm. Serena Williams, mm-hmm. saying that she would be, what, like 400 on the tour or 700 numbers, on the tour? He said 700. Is this true? You know, I... Listening to that whole interview, it was a little weird interview, um, and I, I think it's it's a little unfair to John mm-hmm. just due to the way the question was asked, and you know, and I don't want to like rile up people, or yeah, whatever, I don't think we, but yeah. you know, we don't have to get into that. But it's just you know, I mean, biology is a real thing, and correct? I mean, no, you know, it's it's a real thing, and and I will say. Um, 95, 96, when I first started watching tennis, I always thought tennis was boring. And my yeah. mom one day came in to me and she, she's like, have you seen these two girls, you know, these two black girls playing tennis? Yeah. And I was like, you know, I don't watch tennis. I said, it's boring. For the first six years of my tennis watching career, all I watched was women's tennis. Right. And it was because of Serena and Venus. Sure. And, you know, and so I have a huge appreciation for women's sports in, in terms of, of what, you know, they bring to the yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I think John was getting too literal, and which is interesting to me because John makes the same kinds of comments when he's comparing Federer and Nadal. Correct. It's like, do you want to talk about actual skill? If we're on the court playing one to one, Nadal's the greatest of all time, right? Because he has the record. He's got a better record against the right. guy, you know, right? For I sure. Mean, and he's beat him in his prime. When yeah. he was in his prime, he was yeah. defeating Federer, and not just on clay. He's, Correct. All, he all beat all him at Wimbledon. He's right. beat him at the Australian. He's beat you know. Yeah. The French, and so, obviously, you know, he's, he's beat him, and so for Johnny Mac, I think it was a little unfortunate kind of situation um but if you want to talk about greatest tennis player of all time in terms of achievements yeah and in terms of what they brought to the sport and in terms of what they've done yeah serena williams has the argument to be the greatest the most impactful tennis player of all time time. i mean i think again going back to uh i don't it wasn't as much her and venus but they were the ones who beat made tennis mainstream so i guess it was but Mm -hmm. to me to me too Getting involved with the women's game was a little bit easier because at that time, you had besides Agassi, who was a great return man. Right. You had a lot of guys like Pete Sampras, right. who were dominating with their serve, and it was a lot of like serve, return, finish, right. serve, return, finish. Right. Kind of like playing pong on your in television. Right. right. With women's tennis, you had a lot more of serve, volley, volley, rally, rallies, whatever. Right. Sure. And in Venus and Serena, actually, they brought a power and athleticism that just hadn't been seen. Right. Right. You know, but you know, I think Martina. Well, was Mart- Martina brought athleticism in women's tennis to one level, and then the yes. Williams sister brought it to another level. Right. Right. And Martina was a servant volleyer, so you didn't yeah. have that. But there's uh, Martina. There's a great video called "The Death of Serving Volleying." It is Martina playing against Monica Sellers. Yeah. And a lot of people say that she was actually kind of the pre precursor to yeah. well, she, 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 just, she came know, on the she scene. brought the grunting, she brought the hard hitting. Right. She took out graph. Right, and, right. You know, it's yeah. so she brought in kind of that power game and um and then the Williams again, sisters, the Williams again, sisters just took, took it to it, a totally just took different it and ran with it, yeah. you know. And so um in that sense, you know, I mean yeah, you know, and it was the same for for Pete Sampras. He was a servant yeah, right. You know? right. And that was kind of his game as well. And it, that was just a game that kind of died out um, when you started getting these new rackets and all these things. And then the baseline game and the hard hitting yeah. and the passing. And it's shots a lot, it was a lot of fun to watch now. Right. I mean, you there's know, so many great shots. Exactly. And again, I think serving exactly. ball is fun when sometimes you'll see, even especially a guy like Federer. Right. He'll decide, you know what, this is not working right now. Yeah. I'm going to just take a step yeah. into the middle yeah. Yeah. and make this guy come up and yeah. see what happens. And so it's part of the repertoire. Serena has that, Venus yeah. definitely has that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I think she's the greatest of all time right. in terms of accomplishment in sport. And right. at the era she accomplished it. But go with Johnny Mack for a second. Right. You know, one, I don't like that he's calling her out. And again, I know that he yeah. wasn't trying to call her he out. He was, yeah. Okay, let me rephrase it. It is unfortunate that this comment came out while she was pregnant. Because right. I feel as right. if if she was playing, we could get this groundswell of, of media media to say, why don't you two just play right now and just Serena can wipe the floor with Johnny Mack right, and we can just make right. Johnny Mack feel like Bobby Riggs. But right, right. what I'm wondering is, and I know he didn't do it intentionally, so sure, my outlandish sure. theory was he waited until she was in her second trimester right, to right. say something like this so that she couldn't come and just do something about it next right. week. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, do you think Johnny Mack, is, I feel like he's always trying to be relevant. Do you think he's clamoring to be Bobby Riggs 2.0 on Serena's back playing so that he can... Get a match, you know, be do that whole thing, or I, cause I think it's actually beneath Serena. I think she could actually beat a pro now. I'm not saying a top five pro, sure. but I'm saying a guy on the Challenger Tour right now, or a guy on the bottom of the ATP sure. right now. I, mean, I think there, she could beat him in a pro. There, there's there's so much him. there, yeah, you know, and it's just like just my brain's going crazy right now. I, a couple of things. 
if Serena would be number 700 in the men's tour right now, Johnny Matt would be 1,400. Correct. You I know, guess most so, important being this Johnny Matt. You know, I mean, you know, and I mean, granted, you know, he's he's older. So you're definitely you know, agreeing that she, she would be oh, him yeah, right now. I mean, sure. and I've, I've watched tons of videos. He plays on the, the Champions Tour now. I've watched tons yeah. of videos of him playing 2016, some, some exhibitions. This year, he plays a lot of doubles, obviously, yeah. because, you know, he's not trying to run like that. But, you know, I've watched tons of video of him playing up in, in the last four or five years, and it's it wouldn't even be... She's a better player. It, it wouldn't yeah. even be close. Right. You know, I mean, it, he, you know, he's still... Uh, he's a, you know, he's a multi-time, you know, grand, he's, he's a great player right. in his era, but but, you know, now, no, there's no way. If him and Serena played, um, I'd give them a, a couple games. 6-3, right. 6-2, six, six, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, Serena and Venus, when they were 17 or 18, somewhere around there, I believe they had made the comment that they could beat a guy in the top 100. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was a guy, I can't remember his name, so he challenged him. I believe he's like number 100 in the world. Nice. He, he played both of them. He did. And he played both of them in one set, and I believe Venus got three games and Serena got two games. Okay. So it was 6-3 for Venus and 6-2 for Serena. And then they came back and they said, well, maybe we could be a guy in the top 300. And it was funny because this guy said, well, actually, the way that the point system is I'm mean, gonna got some points dropping off, and I'm actually gonna drop down. To and I'll be three hundred. I'll be three hundred. <laughs> so you want to play again, you know? So it's it's just you know, it, and I think you know Serena has said it plenty of times since they were talking about um, her serve. Her second serve has more power than Andy Murray's second serve. Is that a fact? She hits a faster second wow. serve than Andy yeah. Murray does, and so they were asking her, you know, did it, does she think she could beat Andy Murray? And she said she would lose six zero six zero. Like so, it's yeah, she, and, I, and I, I, you know, like you said, it's it's. And that's the thing, and I guess that's what I'm getting to with, with, with Johnny Mac. No one's arguing any of this, right? No one like just no funny one, he brought it up in the first. Why does he want to bring it up? Right. No, no need to bring it up. Like, there's no need to bring. I mean, I guess it's relevancy, maybe. Right, and he's always. I mean, when you listen to him, and I guess that's what we were saying. We disagree. When I listen to him commentate, because he's a commentator, I think Patrick Macaro does a better job because mm-hmm. Johnny Mac is too personal when he commentates. Right. He puts too much of his emotion. Yeah. He likes to harken back to his good old days mm-hmm. when you know I was Johnny Mac, and so you know I can you know, make comments. He, he's just too personal, and I think. He does. He wants to remain relevant. Right. He puts out these videos. I don't know if you've seen this. He has these YouTube videos. Right, right. He he's trying, he's trying to get brands. Trying to, yeah. Whereas he's Patrick's trying put, just trying to, yeah, you know, yeah. be in charge of USTA, yeah. be in charge and, of the development of the game, grassroots exactly, style, exactly. further the game's mission in America, yeah. in the world, etc. And even when he plays exhibitions, he always he always dips into that anger. You right. Know, he shows you a little, shows you a little bit you know, of the, you know, the fire Johnny Mac. You know, Johnny Mac has the fire. You know, yeah. so I just think, so I, yeah, you know, much ado about nothing, obviously, yeah, but, which, but, but again, I, I just don't know why he was going down that road. Yeah. There's no, there's no need. I mean, that's what I'm saying. No one has ever d- denied that and, you know, made, and, and it's kind of hard though, when you have someone that is so dominant like Serena that mm-hmm. brought in a serve like she has, where yeah. by far, now, you know, and that's one thing, you know, it, she has, in the history of women's tennis, the best serve, hands down, no question to ask. Right. There's no one that even comes close right. to the way that she serves. Um, I would say if you put her in the men's tent tour, there's a lot of men that would like to have her serve. Yes, right. You know, right. I mean, even including, I would say the doll would probably like to have her second serve. Correct. <laughs> you know, Correct. Like yeah. it's, you know it's, it's, it's just that good I mean, um, when it's on, but... 
you know, beyond that, I don't know what Johnny Matt was going for. You know, she's the greatest female player of all time. When he said that, he was baited because there's a lot of people that say that. She is the greatest female right. player. Right, it's a fact. That's a fact. Right. But then the interviewer decided to kind of qualify. It. Why do you have to qualify it? Why isn't she just the greatest? the greatest? And I think that's where it became unfair to him because I don't think in his head when he said that, he was thinking that this is gonna because if she played on the men's right. tour. So then when he when she asked him to qualify or asked him why he qualified, I think that's when he started digging that hole. Right. And he should have just... You know, it sounds like one of those things where you should be yeah. like, you know what? I'm not even touching that one. Right, yeah. You should have <laughs> just been smarter about it. Just, just like, be like, you know yeah. what? You know, she's yeah. the most accomplished tennis player yeah. In the modern era. Yeah. And Margaret Court's the only person with more major titles. Yeah. And even yeah. that is obviously a completely yeah. different era. And But again, again, we have the benefit of complete hindsight. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah and if we one of us had even moment. screwed that moment right. up, I exactly. would edit it out. Exactly. Not, yeah. You know, right. but like the point is Johnny Mac didn't yeah. have that luxury. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. and I would say one, one last thing to say about her is, well, you got to keep in mind when you're looking at her and comparing her to someone like a Federer or someone like an adult. Yeah. Serena Williams also has multiple doubles grand slams correct she has five gold medals yeah she has two mixed doubles oh no question you know so when you look at the comparison for someone like a federer or someone like a nadal they just they they not there. it's just not there that's right you know so no, decorated accomplished yeah, i mean literally yeah. brought i think brought more to yeah you know you talk about tiger woods effect on golf mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he brought eyeballs that would not be there right to there right Right. And golf still looking for some type of a recovery right. star right. to replace him. And the best part of the Williams sisters, especially Serena, is yes, they've taken some breaks, mainly due to this disinterest mm-hmm. or lack mm-hmm. of motivation mm-hmm. in terms of wanting to try other things too. Right. Right. But Serena especially has been able since I think like ninety nine, yeah, been able to continue to come back when she wants to and when she's healthy. Yeah. Four and decades and be relevant. Yeah. Four different decades she has won a grand slam. And that's amazing. Yeah. And so for her to do that and for her sister to be the second best tennis player in her family, mm-hmm. but to potentially be top two to top five ever yeah, to play two. Yeah, yeah. And, dude. And, and an interesting stat about Venus Williams, especially if she comes into Wilmington, which we expect, um, all time, no one else, most Grand Slams. She has been to 74, 75, I believe. Wow. Grand Slams. Wow. No one, all time. And that goes to, I mean, no again, one else. The longevity, yeah. the, the health. Yeah. Honestly, again, and if it wasn't for having a younger sister who she basically helped teach to be the <laughs> right, best player right, ever, right, yeah. I mean, she would probably be arguably, like I said, a top yeah. five player of all time yeah, yeah, yeah. in her own right and still yeah, is. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't have my little, you know, my younger brother yeah, uh, right. was regarded as being that much better at being something that I was really great at. Yeah. I'd be pretty upset. And he would probably say, because he'll probably listen, that that sport is basketball. But neither one of us were very right, good at basketball right, right. relative to other human beings. Right, right. Uh, so anyway, all right. Xavier Hempel, we got to get back to work. But thanks for appearing on the yeah, freestyle. Yeah, no, this is and, good. Uh, this is, yeah. We'll have you back whenever you'd like. <laughs> and uh, everybody else, make sure you watch Wimbledon. It's going to you know, get your popcorn it's ready, as awesome. T.O. would say. It's going to be awesome. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll get out of here on that. And ladies and gentlemen, it would not even be a filibuster freestyle Wimbledon preview without lawn sports, racket sports, country club maestro himself, the pundit from the Gulf Coast, Andy Maslin rejoins the freestyle. Andy Maslin, how you doing, buddy? I am living the dream, doing great. Uh, I have to do give one thing, one little warning out to the crowd before this. Although I'm a lawn sports expert, I'm not into lawn sports at all. So usually before I go on a filibuster freestyle, I do my research, uh, especially for the major events. Um, 
I forgot about it, so I'm shooting from the hip here, off the cuff. Well, I think what you're doing is you're taking a page out of the playbook of another Andrew, Andrew Patterson, who, <laughs> in the middle of his, his, his third annual Song of the Summer breakdown, he fully admitted that only Roscoe P. and I were prepared, and he had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. And he still slayed. He still slayed. So, you know, it's check that summertime. out. summertime. Exactly. It's summertime. It's not <laughs> time to be lazy. But the good news is, not only are you... Well, you, you are self-admitted not exactly an actual tennis, golf, horse racing aficionado, and, and neither am I, but you actually do know a thing or two about wagering on a thing or two. Yeah, I, and, and about those three sports you just mentioned, I'm not maybe an aficionado. I'm a big event aficionado. So if there's a big event going on there, I'm in on it. You're wagering, like a, you know what? I just figured it out. You're like a red carpet guy. Yeah, and, and wagering can make anything a big event, depending on how much you have on You're darn right. I can wa- I wager that I can drink this whole cup of water right now, but I'm not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Uh, audio, audio medium, not a visual medium. Exactly. The yeah. only person who will impress is you, and I don't think you'll be impressed. Now, before this might impress you. Before I FaceTimed you, I realized I was not wearing a shirt, because when you live alone, these things don't matter. Maybe. <laughs> and... and- I can't see the bottom half, so I don't know if you have pants on. Right, and I still may or may not have pants on, but I did throw a shirt on for you. I wanted to point that out. Uh, are you surprised by the fact that, that your boy, Gav Money, was not wearing a shirt at, you know, 9.34 on a Thursday night pre-podcast? Um, I'm not, not surprised at all. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. I get home from a run, like to air it out a little bit, and then I take a shower before bed. Nobody's the wiser, except now the entire world is the wiser. Okay. Your secret's out. Secrets out on Gavin on Gav Viano shower tips. Okay, Andy, let's go down. Let's resume where you and I picked up, which was last time we were talking about tennis. You had said that the 35-year-old Roger Federer, after beating Nadal for his 18th major title in Australia, he caught lightning in a bottle one last time. He should hang it up. He went on to then obviously win Indian Wells, win in Miami, Sunshine Slam against Nadal twice. Clearly you feel differently now than you felt then. Do you want to address that first? playing at such a level now uh, that I'm glad he's still playing. Um, you know, like you said, the Sunshine Slam. I, I haven't been following that closely, but I, I feel like he is doing the smart thing where he's picking and choosing his events now. Um, you know, he's not playing the full complement of events, events. He's just kind of doing what he needs to do for his body to get warmed up for the Grand Slams and be ready to go and be healthy to get there, which I also find so amusing because when players in the NBA take nights off to be ready for playoffs and rest, we say they don't need rest, but then we praise guys like when you know Tiger and golf playing the events he wanted so he's healthy for majors back in the day, and even golfers doing it now, and now Federer doing it. We all praise it, so he's there for the big, the, the big events. But I, I, I think if <clears throat> I think he can squeeze another year or so out of it if he keeps doing it right and he stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. And then what's crazy though is he he obviously decided to not play in the clay season, which I think was smart for those physical reasons you mentioned. What he did do was a guy he then beat three times in a row in Nadal. He basically allowed Nadal to go into the clay court season where, admittedly, Nadal is the absolute maestro, but not get not even attempt to get in Nadal's way as Nadal built confidence after confidence after confidence on clay. He won, I think, four tournaments, did lose to Dominic Team in, I think, Italy, but he won Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, and then, of course, his 10th French Open to cap it off. And then he pulled back within three all-time for major championships with right said Fred, as I like to call him, uh, Roger Federer, who, by the way, I called Robert Federer earlier on the show. I wanted to get that in now, so there'll be no rap apologies to Roger Federer. 
but I did call him Robert, his, his handsome uncle Robert Federer. Um, Nadal getting hot on clay and getting one more major closer back to within three. Does that make Wimbledon incredibly, incredibly pivotal for both their legacies? Has there ever been a more pivotal legacy point? I guess the Australian Open was one, but now they've both won one since then. So is this the biggest tennis tournament we've had probably since like 08, 09 when these guys played? It is, and I think of the majors, I think Wimbledon tends to get the most eyes on. I mean, get the most eyes on it, and, and many people would consider the most prestigious. It is a place where, you know, there isn't, you know, Nadal is just so dominant on clay, you almost know, almost know going in, something has to happen for him to lose right. on clay. So on grass, it, you know, there's a few more competitors. Um, and, and on top of that, I think it's also weird in tennis that we're not quite seeing the next guy up yet. It's still like big three and the big four. Yep. We're not hearing much about in you know this, an eighteen to twenty two year old that is going to all of a sudden you know burst onto the scene. We're not, we're not seeing it, which is really strange because it, it's always happened in tennis. Right, and I think one is a testament to how healthy these guys are staying into their late twenties and now early thirties, and in the case of Federer, mid thirties. Uh, I did. I have been watching a little bit of tennis, clearly, in the lead-up here. And there's a couple young guys, like Alexander Zverev, who I think, yep. took, uh, I think he took Federer. He played Federer in the final at, at, you know, last week in Germany, in Halle, Germany. Another guy named Nick Kriegos. Another guy named Milos Ronic. I mean, to your point, they're, they're now in the top ten, but they are not in the top five. And when they, and they, when they win, it's because someone's not there or they're hurt, right? And, and Krigos in particular, I feel like I've heard about him a lot. But he just, I don't know if these, I guess these top three guys are just still so good, no one's able to break through. Yeah. Especially, especially with the specialties they all have on their different courts. You right. know, it's like, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about that third guy, Novak Djokovic. Um, he had not found his game when we talked last after the Aussie. He definitely did not find his game on the hard court in the winter, did not find his game on clay. Not, not to. I mean, he's better, but not. He hasn't won a title. Do you like his chances at Wimbledon as kind of a fresh surface, fresh start? Plus, no one's talking about him. Or do you think that this is really, if they stay healthy, Federer slash and Dedalus to lose? Um, you, you know, for for a guy like Joker to win Wimbledon, it's really he only has to get hot for a week because he's gonna he can he can sleepwalk through the first couple matches. Yep. Um, you know, he's just that much better than everybody else, except for the top two. So, I mean, if he gets hot, I, I mean, major, you know, bright lights, he's been there, done that, you know. I, I, I don't expect him to be there, but it wouldn't shock me if, if, he, if he was to win it. You know, he, he's that, he's that, he has that much skill yep. that, that it could and happen. And technically and, and physically, he's probably as good or better than both these guys, clearly, because he's been dominating for the last five years until recently. But I think I think right now it's the space in between his, his two ears, if you will. Yeah, I, I wonder because you know tennis is a mental game as, yeah. as much as a physical game. I wonder if if Nadal and Federer kind of being healthy all of a sudden has just spooked him a little bit. Yeah, right. That's a good. That's a really good take, actually. Because I mean, I think of the of the three, he probably and the other two mentally are as tough as they come. And I'm not saying Djokovic isn't tough mentally, but to your point, to see them back. On top of him again, it's got to be like kind of Night of the Walking Dead type thing, or Michael Myers, or Terminator Two. You know, you you stick the, stick a knife through the guy's head, and he just kind of turns into liquid nitrogen and just walks right off out of it. You know, it's no big he's deal. Like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I was done with these guys. Don't know if that actually happened in that movie, by the way, but y'all get my point. Djokovic has twelve majors. Fed is eighteen, obviously. Rafa has fifteen. 
potentially one of those guys is going to add. Any of them could add. At 12, does Djokovic ever catch Federer as 18? Um, just based on no one else being there behind him. Not no one else. I mean, there are. I know guys, what you mean. No clear cut no, rival. No one being real, really there. I, I just think Federer and Nadal have had more health issues that will continue to bother them as they age. So I think there's a good shot. I mean, you could see him in a year, maybe in a year or two, win three out of four, four out of six, and right. really make a run at it. Yeah, I think if I think if Federer gets 19, I, I think he's safe. Unless it's from Nadal, who could win, who could conceivably win five more French Opens. <laughs> I think if Nadal wins Wimbledon this week, off, yeah, w- wins this one or wins one in the next year off of clay, yeah. he has a real shot at it. That's fair. Because then, then, then you get him on clay for two, even at the top, at the top of his game, he's better on clay. So. Right, and you you know, I think you know that regardless of Nadal's health, at some point in the next five years, even if he never wins another major, he's going to win at least one more French. I, I mean, I think he's going to win three or four more French. Yeah. But even if he, like, just has knee problems again, I feel like at some point in the next five years, he, he's about five years younger than Federer. He will have a Federer at the Aussie moment. Yes. Regardless of how he carries it on after that. He will put it all together on clay if he needs to. In, like, a Jimmy Connors-esque last you know, stand, Pete Sampert's last stand at Wilmington type deal. Andre Agassi, you know, albeit second place at the U.S. Open when he's like 32, back in 05. Nadal owns yeah. clay. Nadal will do a clay when he's past his prime. And, no and I, think the, I think the way it'll probably work is because he's playing less events or even a number one guy playing less events, they'll miss each other yep. uh, until the final or someone will get upset in the path to the, fi- the, path to the championship. will just be a little bit easier. So I, I think Federer needs to one, win one more, and I think Nadal needs to win one off of play. Right. But like, like if Federer wins one to two more, no, I don't think it will be caught. Right. Nadal can catch Federer if he wins one off, off the yeah. play and then wins – that's what I think. Three or four more French Opens. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's talk about who's going to win this Wimbledon. I got some odds for you here, and you can help me because I'm going to be in Europe. Now, gambling is very illegal on sports in the United States unless you're at a sports book in Los, An- Sorry, Las Vegas, not Los Angeles. That would also be illegal. Now, Although it, 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 it's, it's in the works now. could be. Could, very, very true. Could be, yeah. And, it, and when it is, Curtis Fingers will be back to prognosticate on tennis and Big 12 football like we know and love. Now. I'm going to be in Europe during Wimbledon, so I've got a shot, potentially, to, to lay down a wager for you, for me, for the filibuster freestyle public. So here are the odds in the top seven or eight guys. I'm going to run them down for you. This is from Skybet for like a 20-pound bet, 20 pounds, which is probably about 30 bucks. Uh, Federer is 2-1. to one. Andy Murray, Britishman, two-time Wimbledon champ, 4-1. to one. You got Rafa Nadal at 9-2. You get Djokovic at 11-2. to two. You got Milos Ronic at 14 to 1. Marin Silic, another good young player. We mentioned him earlier, 18 to 1. Stan Marinka, who flirts with the big five title sometimes at 25 to 1. And then what I like is Dominic Team, who beat Nadal uh, in Italy. Uh, he's 40 to 1, but he's like a top 10 player. And he's also 16 to 1 to reach the final. I think either one of those two is actually not a bad ride at 16 to 1 or 40 yeah. to 1. Yeah, I um, I'm not a guy who likes to bet favorites. Uh, yep. Like even like in horse racing, if I'm going to bet the favorite, it'll go in an, exo- an exotic. You know, I just don't think there's any value in it. Yeah. But I I like the Warenka and I, I like the the Djokovic. The Djokovic. There's just 
there's good enough odds that those guys can win, and there's really money to be made. And I really like the Warenka bet. Yeah, I think 25 to 1 Warenka is huge. And I didn't look up, and I can maybe do it the next time Andy's talking. I'll get the Crafts Research team on it. But if Warenka's 25 to 1 to win, I bet he's actually got a pretty nice odds to, to final, to coming in second, or to be yeah. in the final, I should say. So my guess would be a Stan Wawrinka, Wawrinka vet, excuse me, probably really good job. He's done well at Wimbledon in the past. He's been in majors in the past. He's won majors in the past. He's a countryman of, of Federer. He's not afraid of him. You know, he's beaten Djokovic before, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all right. Who, so who do you got? You got Nadal, Federer, or the field? I will give you the field. I take the field. Okay. And out of the field, who do you like to represent the field? Joker? Uh- Murray, I like, I like, well, right, I, I mean, you like, I you like Varenka, Joker, and, and, and I like, I like, I like um, Andy Murray. You know, playing at home, on the home court. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's try to do this part without getting either one of us in trouble. And I will say this: earlier today, when I had Xavier on the show, we were able to do this without getting in trouble, to my knowledge. But Johnny McEnroe, uh, he got. I don't even. A journalist asked him about Serena Williams' legacy or something to that effect, and he said she's the greatest women's player of all time. Journalist pushed back and asked why he qualified it with her gender. Johnny Mac wound up saying something to the effect of if she played on the tour, she'd be like number 700 in the world. Okay. Now, here's, here's my outlandish theory. I don't want us to get into any of that. I think we can let Johnny, Johnny Mac went down that road, and he's far more qualified than us to put his foot in his mouth about the gender of tennis players and being good or not. But do you think Johnny Mack is doing it, one, because he he's just craves being relevant, okay? Two, do you think he's angling to be this century's Bobby Riggs and to get a hoopla match against Serena once she has her baby and gets back into tennis? And three, do you think he was doing it now because he's safe and that because she is midterm or further in her pregnancy, he knows she can't call his butt out like in two weeks and be like, all right, Johnny Mack, let's play some tennis. What are your thoughts on any of that? Um, one, I will get myself, I'll go down that path and get myself in trouble. Okay, I mean, is it, you're doing this think, on your own volition. I think 700 may be ridiculous, but if he was to say 200, is that more realistic? Okay. Um, you know, she, she, she has come out and said in interviews that I actually read. Yes. That, that, that she loses, I forget which guy she used, would beat her 6-0, in 10 minutes. I think it was Andy Murray. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think that's Xavier, our other tennis pundit, mentioned that exact same thing today. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then there was a story that her and her sister played the 102nd ranked men in the world. Yep. I haven't confirmed that one. I believe it's lost. confirmed, at least by another source on this show earlier today. So again, yeah, I mean, well, you've done your research, Andy. It's good. <laughs> I don't know how true it is. I think, number one, if you read the interview... I think the interviewer was looking to make a name for herself. Okay, so she was looking for a spectacle. Yeah, because she really like brought it up and like went after him on it. I think she was looking for the spectacle. Okay. By saying seven hundred, Johnny McEnroe makes the thing. I mean, no, and again, I don't think the number seven hundred player in the the world as a man could probably beat her most days either. Yeah, and I think like saying okay, so say Johnny McEnroe does go play Serena. How old's McEnroe? Sixty years old. Correct. So I don't think I don't think he's saying. Oh, she's well, pregnant, well, so I'm going to run my mouth. About okay, it. so there you go. Okay, because I, I was just wondering if he was feeling like, well, I might as well, I might as well call her out now because there's nothing she can no, do about he, it like, right the, now. The, the way the story came out, and the way it was headlined, it was like he went after her. Yeah, he did it. Like he was like asked a question and asked a follow up question. So I don't, I, I don't know what the premise of the interview was. Right. But, so you don't but, think? Because I, well, I would just say because my whole first thing with Johnny Max, I feel like Johnny Max always kind of 
trying to make it personal and trying to be relevant and trying to be in the spotlight. And frankly, at the end of the day, he's Johnny Mac and his best, he's best known for having temper tantrums and for being a Mr. Deeds. You know, like, yeah. I love him, but he's not even one of the all-time great. No, he's not, he's right? The, okay. He's one of the all-time great personalities in tennis. Yes. Right. And it's like saying, I mean, I could, well, like, you know, uh, ML Carr was one of the great Celtics personalities of all time. He was all over the Celtics-Lakers 30 for 30. ML Carr couldn't play a lick, couldn't coach a lick, and couldn't GM a lick for the Celtics. <laughs> nice guy, fun to listen to, not a lot of success. Yeah. Better I player mean, than me, by the way, better player than most. But not an all-time Celtics great player. Great personality, great teammate. And I don't, I don't think ML Carr. I don't think ML Carr could beat um, Serena in tennis either. Nor Johnny Mack, nor the hundredth guy in the world, nor the reporter who asked the question of John Macro in the first place. Just kidding, ML. Maybe you're a great player. I don't know. Um, it's funny. It's funny though. I'm, I'm using the world's best source of things. Um, Wikipedia. W- Wikipedia. In prize money, it, this just has to do with the time. John McEnroe only made twelve million dollars in his career. Oof. Brutal. Just, and I don't mean that like in a – but like he must kill him to be like – man. he probably makes more money as a broadcaster over the course of the last 15 years than he's made and as a tennis player for the course of his entire career as a player when he's at his prime. That's, that's crazy. That's, yeah. Inflation's a real mofo as they say. Yeah, so he won – he won seven singles titles. So, I mean, he was a very, very good player. Um, four U.S. Open, three Wimbledon. Nine doubles titles at, at majors, but I mean that I don't think that puts him in the top ten ever. You know, no, no. But like you said, a cat, a, a person, an all-time personality for sure. All but, right. but that's the thing. I think with a guy like him, when you're interviewing and asking those questions, you know you're getting the over-the-top, bombastic response from him. That's sure. his personality. It's it's not like he was going to say. When the woman said, oh, well, why are you saying she's a woman tennis player? It's not like he's saying, uh, not like he was going to give a great explanation on why the women's and men's game are different. Right. <laughs> That's fair. And I mean, I would say she is absolutely the most decorated tennis player of all time in the modern era. Margaret Court has more major titles, but we can all agree that both men's and women's tennis has evolved a ton since Margaret Court played tennis. Well, and we actually, on this podcast, we actually discussed if... She was the most dominant athlete in her field, like, ever. And the only one who come up, could come up with even compared to was Tiger. And she's done it for longer. Yeah. And, and actually in a more physically grueling sport, to be honest. Yeah. And on different surfaces. And I guess there's, every golf club's different and every, every yeah. course is different. But anyway, compared to her, yeah, compared she's been more field, dominant for longer. Dominant. Yeah. Most dominant, most, I think, prolific at this point. I think she and her sister changed the game, brought a lot of eyeballs to it, like Tiger did, that, you know – wouldn't have watched otherwise and then her longevity slash kind of i would say ability to play on different surfaces unquestionably successful and then and then you know like her biggest rival was literally the person that she practiced against her entire life (laughs) yeah so you put the family together and you just and then they won all these doubles titles and all these olympic medals together and it's pretty impressive so anyway all right we'll get out of there in terms of the tennis Really quickly, I'm going to let you kind of help me set up the end of this mega cast, which is I'm pretty sure that baseballs are flying out of Major League ballparks at a very alarming clip. Uh, I'm not prepared yet, research-wise, to name names. I think we're into a juice ball era 2.0, and I'm going to go so far as to say, let's not be stupid this time, America, and think that the manufacturers made weird balls, and it's the dudes. 
that are juiced. So what are your thoughts on my outlandish theory and where do we go from here? Well, I, I, without making accusations, I, 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 I think it could be a juice ball and a steroid error to 2.0. Um, I'm not saying what the drugs you're using are illegal. Um, right. Money is usually able to get you stuff that they're not testing for yet or aren't made illegal yet because it's such a new designer drug. Correct. So that, that could be back. I think it's definitely a juice ball error. I think I heard something the other day like the most home runs at this time in like 28 years or something like that. Uh, Major League Baseball has been, they've been, I feel like they've been getting criticized for being the old person's game and right. the game's taking too long and ratings are down and they're not getting young viewers. And the last time baseball was was super popular and everyone was talking about it was during the home run, the juice ball error or the steroid error with uh, McGuire and Sosa and all those home runs and everyone was talking about it. Right. So I definitely think they've, they've changed the balls they're using. It's. Uh, I mean, I, something has definitely changed. And although I think it may be a, a, almost a steroid type thing, the drastic increase this year to last year. I don't think even if everyone was juicing, it would make that big of a difference. I think it's it's got to be the balls. Yeah, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, Bill Ricca's own Tom Glavin said, "Chicks dig the long ball," and that was in the '90s. It was obviously tongue in cheek, but it was true. Everybody likes a home run. Yeah, it, it, America it, loves it, offense. I mean, the home run derby gets the ratings, and and the, it is it is the most exciting play in baseball. I um, mean, going yard, man. And so anyway, I just think that we're going to bring in our baseball pundits, Andrew Patterson, Jeremy Johnson, who just had a baby, by the way, the latest pundit to have a baby on the freestyle. Congrats to him. The whole bottoms-up crew is having babies, Andy. I don't know what to tell you. Frightening. It's frightening. Next thing you know, no, the whole next thing you know, Roscoe and I are going to adopt a baby together just to get in on the action. Hey, oh, that's Hey-o. an outlandish theory. But anything to leave the fans with now? Everybody good in your neck of the woods? Everything is good over here. Um, you know, if anyone has any connections for us to get our FA Cup soccer team um, up and going, uh, we're you know at that time. I, I'd assume we have to enter by now. So yeah, we we got to really officially have a filibuster freestyle entry into the FA Cup. Qualifying rounds, semi-pros, next summer. we got to be in. Yeah, uh, so if anyone has any connections or sponsorship dollars, we're, we're, we're ready and willing to go. I love it. I like it very much. And, and the best part is the two guys who are already on the team have never played competitive soccer in their life. It can't miss. I, I mean, I don't think I've played soccer since I was nine. And you've played it longer than I have. Uh, all right, man. <laughs> Stick around. We'll catch up. Thanks for being on. Check out Wimbledon, everybody. If you want me to put a bet down for you when I'm in jolly old London town, or really just Europe, uh, I will. In London? You can actually bet in the stadium. Like, it's not like you have to go to a casino or an off-track betting thing. You can walk up to a window in the stadium and place a bet on the game that's going on in the field. Like, that's how crazy it is. So in real time? In real time. Well, that's just really interesting. I wonder if they let that happen at Wimbledon. I was going to ask you if you knew that. We'll, we'll, find, we'll have the research team look into it. Crack research team's all over it. They're coming on the trip with me. No big deal. All right, Andy. Catch you soon, man. Later. Okay, and finally, we've got Andrew Patterson joining us live from Walpole, Massachusetts, site of the, the famous night before the 4th of July celebration, the 3rd of July celebration. How's it yep. going, Andrew? It is going very uh, well. Enjoying this 4th of July long weekend. Uh How's it going with you, my fellow Xennial? Well, I know we're Xennials, right? Or Xennials? That's like a thing now? Lamely enough, the X is pronounced hard. Oh, so it's not, we're not Xennials, we're Xennials. Xennials, 
because of Generation X. And just for those who maybe haven't been reading this over the last two, three weeks, um, apparently, obviously everybody's familiar with Generation X, and yeah. everybody's familiar with the, the Millennials. Right. Which, let me remind me to make a point on Millennials in a second, but everybody had said that Millennials and Gen Xs kind of abutted each other right around 1980, right? Yes. Okay. But what they figured out is there was actually kind of a subgroup of people, both of which are years when you and I were born in, between right. I think like 77 or 8 and 83, which because of where we fell in those kind of those two areas meeting, we're actually our own little subspecies called apparently X-Zennials. X-Zennials, yeah. I mean, which is, you know, I, I guess it's fine, whatever. It's called the micro-generation. But you know everybody in that six-year span just wants to consider themselves Generation X. Like, there's nobody our age that's like, yeah, I want to be a millennial. But here's – okay, and that's why I'm glad you let me back into it. The people we're complaining about right now aren't millennials either. I think they're whatever is like the next thing. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is what, were, what year were you born in? Like, like 79? 79. All right, but like my brother was born in 82, right? Right. My brother and I are now exennials together and that makes sense. We're pretty, we're pretty close in age. I don't think my brother's age of person – is like the 23-year-old kid who was born with an iPhone in their hand who can't do all the things we complain about quote-unquote millennials not being able to do because they're not millennials. So let's, what's their name? What are they called besides kids yeah. who are under 27? So I, I, I like, yes. It's really uh, catchy. I, under 27-year-olds. <laughs> I think um, I think they, they mark it as like what point in your childhood it came across. Right. Like the reason where, where one exennials or whatever is that they it's like a digital adulthood but a unconnected childhood right an analog if you will childhood yeah yes and so they at least had access to to pretty consistent internet with from the time they were kids right in which now, we, now it's it's grown up since then obviously but it was there for them correct and like we literally if as a seven-year-old could not log on to aol.com right exactly. or really even as like a 12 year old i mean i couldn't no for sure. No, not for longer than like 10 minutes if you tried because your mother always ended up picking up the phone to call the neighbor about something. <laughs> You're like, God damn it. You know, it's, it's amazing the thing that the kids don't get, period, is not only did dial-up modems get screwed up by the fact that everybody had a house phone, but before the internet existed in people's homes on like a PC, parents would still jump on the actual family house phone and embarrass you all the time too. All the time, yeah. The house it phone is. is like my – like the – I still to this day would rather see somebody in person or like email them about calling them about something than calling somebody out of the blue. I have like PTSD, tongue in cheek wise, from having to use a family phone and then having to deal with somebody else's parents and then having to worry about my parents or little brother getting in the phone. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. I told, I actually had that exact conversation with like eighth grade kids on uh, that uh, recently where I where I was explaining to them. You know how our childhoods are, are were very different times. Like right. the rules we were had are very different from the kids' the rules these kids have. And they're like, "What do you think is better?" And I was like, "You know, I think everybody would say they prefer their own childhood, but you guys have never had to call somebody and deal with their fa their parents." And <laughs> all of their faces were like it was like a nightmare. Like that was a horror movie to them. I will say that it's a skill worth having, but it was definitely horrific. Uh, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. at least when, like, at least like our grandparents barely even had phones, at least not like ubiquitously. So they would have to actually go and see somebody at their house. We had to actually do the hardest thing, which is cold calling your friends. 
getting the gatekeeper mom like, being like, ah, who's this? <laughs> and then just playing roulette that your own parents weren't going to pick up in the middle of a phone call, so you'd have to go, my mom on the phone! <laughs> a lost art, a lost day. Well, that wasn't even on our agenda today, but I like it because it actually – just give me one little break, which is before you came on, we've been talking a lot about tennis. Yeah. It was all recorded a couple of days ago. And I just want to say that apparently Venus Williams, who is playing in Wimbledon, has been implicated in some kind of a car accident in which somebody perished and uh, whatever. So we did not talk about that at all during our major okay. tennis segments. I'm not going to broach it now, but I don't want people to be like, I mean, he put it up on July 2nd and talked about Serena and Johnny Mack and didn't even talk about the Venus story. Well, that's why. Yeah. Spoiler alert. And by the way, I think I just insulted all my fans with how their voice sounds. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You're a hardcore fan. Babe. But I love you guys, and I love the guys. By the way, I'm going to give you uh, something that now everybody who's listened already knows. Tokyo Japan won the week last week. Oh, really? Over America, okay. over everything. And what happened is... I think our friend from Ashton, Virginia, must have moved to Tokyo for vacation and fallen asleep listening to the freestyle again because somebody listened to 127 episodes of the freestyle in Tokyo, Japan last week. Wow, big fans, big fans. I was wondering, I thought you meant like overall total listeners, and I was going to wonder if like you did a Hello Kitty segment or something like that. That really. Uh... By the way, I'm now waving to Andrew like Hello Kitty, and it's only a joke between he and I. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, back to our childhoods because this is helpful. At the end of our childhoods, uh, Major League Baseball was trying to recover from the 1994 strike or yeah. lockout, whatever it was, I forget which, in which basically the World Series was canceled. <laughs> baseball in Montreal was ruined forever. It took 30 yeah. years for baseball to come back or 20 years for it to come back in Toronto. And all of America only cared about Cal Ripken Jr.'s streak and nothing else. And then come yes. along, right as we started college, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, or as the late great Ted Kennedy would call them, Mike McGuire and Sammy Sousa. And yeah. they captured America's hearts with launching projectile objects known as baseballs out of stadiums at rates basically never seen before. And yeah. we all were talking about the balls being juiced, juice baseballs, juice baseballs. And everybody kind of conveniently didn't think, man, these guys keep getting bigger and stronger and faster in the matter of weeks. I, You know what? I, I think that you are wrong on your recollection of that. I think there was plenty of discussions and maybe a dong you know, more baseball nerd types, you know, like hardcore into it, like myself. Um, I, you know, there was a lot of discussion of like Mark McGuire's head size because his head got gigantic. Well, Barry Bonds' head size got. Yeah, I mean, they both. And, and, and two heads. I believe in college, McGuire got busted with creatine. If I can't, if I don't work. Anderson, Anderson. Creatine. But um, all of that aside, even all of those those juicing allegations aside, or juice baseballs aside, yeah, I think it's an important point that how big into saving baseball that was. Oh, totally saved baseball. Um, and even with all of those memories of it, I still have fond memories of watching Sosa and McGuire chase each other that season. Correct, and I still and I still have fond memories of watching Lance Armstrong win seven Tour de Frances. <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but you're telling me that Lance Armstrong and every guy in the Peloton wasn't doped up on something, and you're, you're crazy, right? So, yeah. But still, very, very cool that he won seven in a row. Uh, got a nice cameo in uh, Dodgeball, two underdog story yep. to boot. But home runs since the All-Star break in 2015, which is basically two years ago, have been leaping off the charts faster than they have ever before, right? Yeah. So the, the esteemed uh, – 
There's a writer named Ben Lindbergh who writes for The Ringer, which is Bill Simmons' out- outfit now. He wrote a, yeah. like a 14-page piece once you print it out on this idea of a, of a juice ball era part two. or I mean, Not even part two, but just a yeah. present day. Uh, it got picked up by many places, including the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Post- Read an article there by a guy named Stephen J. Nesbitt. And then, of course, I saw it even last night on ESPN. And now the fourth pillar of the baseball critiquing industry, the filibuster freestyle, is going to have to weigh in. But what I, what I have found out is there's some science behind why this is not just my outlandish theory of dudes are juicing again. But I want to hear your take because you watch baseball a lot more than I do. So, um, actually, if you if you haven't read it, you should read the 538 piece on this. Okay, which is a couple years old, right? No, they've redone it. Oh, it's new. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, they had looked at this before, and now they are like you know writing about their reaction to this original piece, which I will tell you straight up, I haven't read. Um, but I read 538s on it. And 538's hypothesis is basically like... The backstory is interesting, and tell me if Lindbergh wrote about this, where they've been trying for a few years to prove this and trying for different things, but they didn't have enough baseballs. Right. And so they couldn't test because they're testing on a certain number of game-used baseballs. Yeah. Um, which they didn't have access to enough to prove anything definitively. Was it Lindbergh who's just started watching video instead? Yeah, I think five- it might have been him. I'm not, he, he was involved in the 538 piece, so maybe. But essentially... They've eventually gotten some science down where it does say that very small tweaks to the, 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 the height of the, 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 the seams of the ball, yes. very small tweaks to the constitution of its core, which is its coefficient of restitution, which is beyond our mathematical skills. And then even right. just shrinking the diameter like by like one one hundredth, three, three one hundredths of an inch gives it like an yes. extra seven feet of flight, which between being inside the park and in the second row is a pretty big seven feet. Yeah, because most average major leaguers have warning track power. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think people would be astounded if they looked at the amount of baseballs that miss being home runs by seven feet or less. Correct. I mean, we're not talking about a handful of home runs every year. We are talking about a ton, just a, a huge number of them. Right, a ton of balls go to die about four inches from the wall. Yeah. Uh, and those are now all home runs. Right. Um, so, but here, okay. But so here you go. I was out of time and to tie it into your beginning, and maybe this is your outlandish theory. I don't know. I don't want to jump on your toes. No, go for it. Into Please baseball do. Baseball was now in another era where they need to be saved. Yes. Um, that the long games are killing them, and that this is their first and quickest reaction to have just done this to try to save the game will it do the same thing right and i think again people love the long ball so probably but yeah but here's here's my whole thing is in 1998 that what when mcguire hit 70 or whatever that wasn't 75 years ago that was like 17 19, 19 years ago okay we all yeah. remember it and my theory is that the ball is now slightly altered to help with offense I think players are definitely altering their swings and trying to get the ball in the air more because with an extra seven feet, you're going to hit home runs. And with an extra home run or two or five a year, you're going to make more money and fans are going to like it more. But the third piece is if the average guy is helped the most by an extra seven feet, then there's a part of Lindbergh's theory that I think I I just want to object to, which is he said – the PED scenario of, of it only being a PED kind of epidemic 
being widespread, uh, it would require widespread, almost simultaneous adoption of a highly effective drug that helps only hitters, isn't detectable, and doesn't make bodies look dramatically different. And my response is, have we ever watched a tour de France? Uh, those guys are all on some type of performance enhancer, and they're all like weigh 130 pounds. Now, in yeah. addition, uh, all these players that are, have the same group of agents, they all play, have played together. They've all played for multiple teams. They all have a similar you know, personal strength coaches. They all study the same stuff. And if the physics of the ball going a few extra feet over the fence is most likely, like I said earlier, to help the average guy, why wouldn't the use of whatever they're using proliferate very quickly if the majority of the guys would be helped by it? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, here's the thing. The baseball media like has lost all of its trust with the people. So the people who should be telling you if their bodies are dramatically different or, or that they're dramatic changers are the baseball writers who have always had way too cozy a relationship with the baseball players. Correct. So I think a lot of those symptoms of PED use were probably more visible and writers weren't reporting on it. So there could be, if there is widespread PED use happening, I do think in this day and age, baseball reporters aren't going to make that mistake again. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm going to get getting in front of. I don't want to call anybody out. I don't have the research, the facts, yeah. or the cojones to call anybody out. But I'm calling the writers out to not help the American public get their get smoke blown up their collective rear end. Okay, absolutely. Because right. and here's the other reason why they shouldn't do that. Because how badly have the baseball writers blackballed those same guys who are not getting into Cooperstown, despite being their besties yeah. for 20 years while they were all juicing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I'm 100% with you on that, but I don't think I will. I mean, but maybe I have too much faith. The other thing that's changed so much about baseball writing is there's so many bloggers. So there's so many people who aren't putting their stories past an editorial board. That's a good point. That's a good anything point. Anything like that. And um, they have all the all kinds of access. Right, okay. So I'm not calling anybody out playing other than saying that, of course, there's a massive incentive to, in addition to the science of the ball, in addition to changing your swing to go for broke and strike out more, but hit the ball in the air more and therefore hit the ball further. Like, of course, if there's a third element, which is enhance yourself, you're going to do it. Absolutely. Especially, Especially if it's helping business of baseball. And, and, well, here's the other thing, too, is athletes have, what, 10 years to make as much money. As if they're they lucky, by the way. For the rest of their life. Right. For many of them. Right. And then we, like, uh, are shocked when they're doing whatever they can to maximize the use out of their body. And we act like it's, like, this big moral outrage because you play youth basketball clean in 1994 means all athletes also should also play Sports clean for the rest Forever, of the right. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not coming out against people playing di- riding dirty, if you will, <laughs> to quote no, I mean, I, the song. But, but there's the argument, too, against it that, yeah, I mean, it's like you don't want to see it happen, but it's happened in, in sport and baseball forever. Yeah. Before, the, before it was the steroids, it was uh, uppers and amphetamines and whatever right. people. Well, everybody's always looking for an edge. Yeah. Period. And so I think your argument is a good one. I'm just saying, let's completely not. completely dismiss that. That someone hasn't found the edge. Right and like now. again, even if the science and I've seen it, I mean, there's a study that basically between, like we said, very small tweaks within like a thousandth of an inch here and ten thirds of an inch, three three tenths of an inch yeah. here. Excuse me, you can make the ball fly that extra seven feet, and you can make it fly about one point four three miles per hour faster, but faster off the bat. Which again, seven feet plus a little bit extra velocity, 
and a little bit aerodynamic, yeah. you're gone, baby. That's changing. That's changing the course of a lot of baseball. But I mean, anytime. Here's the here are the two stats I'll leave you with, and then we can either talk about more outlandish things or just wrap it up and talk offline. But uh, players of 20, 20 home run plus seasons in in two thousand twelve, seventy nine players. The highest number between 2013 and 2015 was 70. The rest was lower. Last year was 111. Yeah. It's a lot more dudes hitting 20 taters, okay? And then of the top 10 home run to fly ball percentiles, so getting the ball yeah. in the air, uh, five of them are happening this season. Yeah. And then, and then two, the other two, uh, the other five, two are Ryan Howard in 07 08. Two are this guy Jack Cust. In 07 and 08, and yeah. one is Nelson Cruz from two, two years ago. So, right. if five randos are putting up these fly ball to home run ratios in the same year, and Ryan Howard in his prime did it twice the same year, another guy did it twice, and then one dude, Nelson Cruz, is a pretty good power hitter, did it once in the last 10 yeah. years, I'm just saying I don't think it's just the baseballs. No, I think that's a, uh, I think that's a very fair point. And what was unfortunate in those, that last minute, Gavin, is those were very good statistics and, and, and uh, good points, to which my reaction was only a facial one, which doesn't really translate well into a solid minute of like podcast. But it was a very good point, and you probably saw my face reacting to it, but the listeners could not. Well, thank you for audibly backing me up the way you visually backed me up and gave me confidence in my stats. Yeah. Hot take Patterson. Thank you, sir. Uh, all right, man. Are you you got anything going on uh, this summer? Are you are you officially on summer vacation? Last time I talked to you, you were close. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're a weekend to summer vacation. I'm teaching like this summer school program, but that doesn't really count because I teach gym in it. You're teaching gym in summer? Yeah. All right, I need to call a timeout. How is phys ed a summer requirement for gym? Are these kids kids who fail gym during the year? So it's not really like a summer school. It's like a program for students, like incoming middle school students. Got it. Um, and it's just like get used to like being in the middle school building, get your summer work done type stuff. Okay. Um, but either way, so, your summer gig is teaching gym. Yeah. Dude. I, I mean, God bless you. I love it. You've earned it. You earned it from another hard year with seventh graders, man. Rolling it. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on that. Stick around for a second. Andrew Patterson. Uh, the mega cast is over. Have a great 4th of July. This will be up beforehand. Have a great Bastille Day because I will be in Europe but not France during it, everybody. And any other summer holidays I might miss, let me know. Do you got one more thing, Andrew? Absolutely. And that is when you go back to editing, feel free to edit out my very awkward role in it <laughs> that I was trying to come up with something else to say right before you wrapped up the podcast. And that came out. And I spent your whole outro going, he's got to edit that out in my head. <laughs> I can promise that I'll consider editing it out, but that's all I can promise. <laughs> all right. All right, man. Stick around for a second. And catch up. Okay, freestyle fans. No outro this week. I'm feeling lazy, and that was a long one. Heading to Europe. Happy 4th of July and everything in between. See you later this month. Thanks for listening to the freestyle. Check us out, filibusterfreestyle.com, and all over the web. We appreciate it.